0: What comes to mind when you hear 1 Corinthians? Well, I'm guessing that for at least some of you, it makes you think of weddings. 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most common Bible readings at Christian wedding services. So even if you're you're not a regular church goer, you've probably heard the best-known part of the book uh, more than once. In fact, uh, the simple yet powerful words of that chapter 13 are used by people of faith in in a wide variety of circumstances. I've recited them at weddings. I've said them at hospital beds. I've shared them at funeral services. They are powerful words. And it's for this reason that it's one of the best-known and best-loved Bible passages in the English language. But there are, are many other familiar passages from this book. To give another example... By countless churches of all kinds across the world, we read the introduction to the Lord's Supper from chapter 11 of this book. Every week, every, every month, as we celebrate communion. So at least some parts of First Corinthians are quite familiar. And there are certainly other parts. Uh, that there's, there's a lot of wonderful expressions in this book. And it's familiar both to practicing Christians as well as many others who have sat through at least the odd church service. But what's the whole thing about? And why is it here in the Bible? It's it's a letter. It's one of the things that we're, if if you've been in church your whole life, you're used to. The idea that a letter is part of God's Word. Well, these and other questions are things we'll start exploring today and over a number of weeks in, in 2020. But if I had to give you a one-line summary of the what and why of the letter, I'd say 1 Corinthians offers very practical teaching on what it means to follow Jesus in daily life, both as an individual and as a Christian community, to keep Jesus at the center of all we do. And to go a little deeper, it's especially helpful in how it can teach us To do these things when the society we live in, and a majority of the people around us, aren't necessarily Christian. It can do these things, because 1 Corinthians, like most of the letters in the New Testament, was written in the very earliest days of the Christian faith. They're actually the oldest part of the New Testament. In fact, we can be, be fairly certain about where and when 1 Corinthians was written. And that's around 54 A.D., From the city of Ephesus, in what's now western Turkey, to a Christian community in the city of Corinth, in southern Greece. This is less than 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Just 25 years after. So, what we have here is one of the oldest documents written about Jesus. And it's written by the person known in Christian circles as the Apostle Paul. Paul was a Jew who grew up in the strict religious traditions of the Pharisees in the Greek city of Tarsus. By this time, already Jewish people had already spread far around the world. Initially, Paul was violently opposed to this new Jesus movement until he had a life changing vision of Jesus on the road to the city of Damascus in Syria. After some time both learning and leading within the Christian community in the city of Antioch, also in Syria, he received a calling from God to share the good news about Jesus to the non-Jewish people of the world, the Gentiles. So from Antioch, he traveled throughout what's now Turkey and founded Christian communities, house-based churches and. City after city, going from place to place there before being called in a fresh vision to cross over to Macedonia and Greece. Keep spreading the message. He arrived in Corinth around 50 AD and spent a year and a half in the city. The longest he'd actually stayed anywhere since he started his mission. So Paul has a special connection with these people having spent so much time with them. He spent his time there teaching people about Jesus and establishing this church community. After some trouble in the city, at the end of his stay, he moved back across the sea to the city of Ephesus, where he started yet another Christian community there as well. But during this whole time, he kept close touch with his church in Corinth, both through the members of his leadership team. We heard a few, one person named Sosthenes mentioned at the beginning of the letter, Paul had a team of leaders with him, but also he kept touch through his letters. First Corinthians is actually probably at least the second letter he wrote to them while he was in Ephesus. Paul needed to maintain this contact because, again, this church was composed almost entirely of brand new followers of Jesus. In fact, it looks like looking at the letter and looking at what's in the book of Acts, which gives the big picture view of, of Paul's ministry. This church was made up mainly of Gentiles, that is, Greeks and Romans, with only a few members being from a Jewish background. And again, remember that the people in this group had only been Christians at the time this letter was written, at most, four years. Before that, most had probably heard little or nothing about the one God of Israel, the Bible. Let alone any of Jesus' life and teaching. This is so new for them. And this is, again, such a new thing in the world. Again, this is just 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So, to put it in another way, these people in Corinth are on a very steep learning curve. And they have to do it in a very challenging environment. Corinth was one of the most important seaports in the Roman Empire. You can see how it sits right there on the main shipping lane from the eastern provinces, from Turkey and and eastern Asia, all the way through Greece and on to Rome and Italy. It was a crossroads, so many things, crossroads of ideas, philosophies, and countless religions that were circulating at this time. This was a very pluralistic time in history, so many different beliefs. It was also home to all the social challenges that come with having a large population of sailors, dock workers, and transient people. It was a port. But on top of that, it was the capital of the Roman province of Greece, Achaia, as, as the Romans called it. And in fact, Corinth was the most powerful and deeply uh, permanent reminder. Uh, of how the Romans had conquered the Greeks, that the Greeks were conquered people. Uh, Two hundred years earlier, the Roman legions had come through, burned down Corinth, enslaved everybody, and then left it a ruin for a hundred years, just to make sure that the rest of the Greek city states knew who was in charge. In 44 BC, Julius Caesar founded the city again as a Roman colony, filled it with extra people from Rome, from Italy, the lower classes of people, as well as many slaves and, and descendants of slaves. So it was this new and different kind of city sticking out in the middle of, of the Greek countryside. So all of this meant, meant two things. First, it was the center of Rome's imperial activity in Greece. It was also the center of the cult of the Roman emperors who were worshipped as gods. You couldn't escape the statues, the temples, what we would call billboards, inscriptions on buildings, and all the public rituals to the emperor. And if you wanted to get anywhere in life as a loyal citizen, you had to take part in some degree. It was everywhere in the main marketplace. Second, this meant that Corinth was a city where everybody was trying to get ahead. It was an incredibly competitive place where freed slaves and common people uniquely had a chance to make a name and a fortune for themselves. In older, more established cities, there was the upper classes and it was very hard to make your way in. Maybe you could get there in generations. In Corinth, because it was new, you could get ahead. And that made for a very intense environment. A common saying at the time is, not for everyone is the trip to Corinth. So all of this made Corinth a very challenging place for this new Christian community to get started and figure out how to be loyal to Jesus, to follow his teaching, and to live differently from the society around them. There were so many competing options and pressures, and everything about their faith was brand new. And on top of this, they had to not only survive as a community, but be able to reach out to their neighbors with the message of Jesus that had begun to change their lives. So if you're looking for a how-to manual, how to grow as a Christian and a church in a challenging environment, well, 1 Corinthians is it. In this letter, Paul has to reinforce the basics of the Christian message and way of life. As well as address a wide range of practical issues that have developed while he's been away on the other side of the sea. Basic things like, how do you live together in community when you're made up of all kinds of different people? How do you live as married people? What's the appropriate bounds of how you have of sex? This is a very different environment that has very different ideas around that. How, how do you share our faith with others but also and, and live at peace with our neighbors yet also maintain appropriate boundaries so you can maintain your identity? How do you do all these things? And what does worship even look like when, you're, when you've never worshipped the one God so all, now all this, of course, continued to be relevant for Christians down the ages. But I think the message of 1 Corinthians is especially helpful here in 21st century Canada, because we live now in a time where active practicing Christians are a minority, and, and increasingly so, where life certainly is very busy, it's competitive. And we are surrounded by a powerful and persuasive secular culture, as well as a host of different beliefs and philosophies. My uh, my mentor in ministry uh, uh, like to say the first century is now here in Canada, in a different way, but certainly I hope you can see some of the parallels between the situation Paul was writing to and where we are as Christians today. Certainly, it's a better situation than they had. And again, we live in this world with so many competing voices, so many distractions, so many things pulling us in different directions as we try and follow Jesus. So we need that help to survive and thrive, both as individuals and as church communities, to maintain our identity. In the middle of all these distractions and competing voices. And to do more than just survive. Because that's never just what the gospel is about, surviving. We need to be equipped and enabled to carry out the mission God has given us. To share our faith with others. And make a tangible difference in the cities and towns where we live. And I believe that 1 Corinthians offers tremendous wisdom and encouragement on how to do this. And so we're going to work our way through this letter from the earliest days of the Christian faith and consider how God offers it as a message of encouragement to us today, to think about how this is written to us today. And I'll spend the rest of our time this morning looking at how the opening of the letter sets up everything that follows and gives a clear, powerful message on what it means to follow Jesus in our time in our place, Paul opens with a, it's a fairly standard way of introducing a letter in those times, but he gives his own particular flavor. He introduces himself as Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, that's those who are made holy in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. A lot packed into those first two verses. And one thing I hope we picked up there, and also when we read the whole passage earlier, is just how many times Paul repeats the name Jesus. Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. He says it eight times. In just the first nine verses, three in just these opening two. The first thing Paul wants to bring home is the centrality of Jesus. He's the one we have our focus on. He's the one who is the source of our life. Jesus is the center of it all. That's where it all begins. Keeping our focus on Jesus, and for Paul, this is his natural. As, as breathing, as much as Paul is calling people to remember, to put Jesus. We can see how central Jesus is for Paul. He talks about, again, he talks about him eight times in nine verses. Um, biblical scholar, N.T. Wright, uh, compares it to uh, when a friend of his had uh, just started a new relationship. And uh, he could tell it was important because she kept mentioning this guy, David. David did this, and we did this with David. You've been there. When, when, when people you know have fallen in love, or they just have the name of that person on their lips. It just comes out of them. And that's partly what Paul's doing. This is partly just who he is, who Jesus has become for him. And he also wants Jesus to be that for the people he's writing to. And for us as well, Jesus is at the heart of our faith. And if we... That is where we start. That is where we come back to. And so, as we enter into this letter, there's all kinds of practical stuff. There's all kinds of small detail. But the big detail that Paul wants for his listeners then, and what God wants for us now, is for us to keep that focus on Jesus and to be, have that same joyful love for him that Paul does as he writes this letter. The other thing to note is, is this expression, Lord Jesus, the Christ. These are, these are big words in, in, in the world for we're used to it, calling Christians calling Jesus Lord. That's a strange thing to do in this world where Jesus was a dead Jewish prophet. Any Roman who heard this message would have thought, You're going you're gonna call that guy Lord? No, Caesar. The Emperor is Lord. He's our Master. But Paul says, No, Jesus. Jesus is our Master. And He is the King, the Christ. And He spent a lot of time explaining to the Corinthians what, just what that meant. So He keeps using this title again and again Christ, Lord, Jesus. He's not only the one who's at the center of our lives, His life, His story is at the center of the story of the world. So as much as all this other stuff is going on around you, Jesus is at the center of it all. And Jesus is there as someone who calls us. That's another word that keeps being repeated, particularly through these opening verses. But it comes up a bit later. This notion of being called, as I shared, shared with the kids, that God... Calls. Paul has experienced that for himself. He had that dramatic experience on the road to Damascus. Changed the course of his life. Jesus called him to be his messenger, his apostle. And God's given that same call to the people in Corinth. He's called them to be the church of God. That word church means assembly. Like the assembly of a town or a city in many ways. The assembly of the people. People called to be holy. And that's, again, a word we throw around in church a lot, but as I said before, holy ultimately means set apart for a special purpose. That you have a special set of clothes that you only wear on certain occasions for particular things. The church is called for a special purpose. To be the people of God. How do you become part of the people of God? Well, you call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both. But we're not alone in this, either. Paul reminds this little group of people, there are probably a few dozen people who meet in a number of different homes. We don't know exactly how many were part of the church. Maybe 50, 100 people at most, tops. Probably smaller than our, but most likely smaller than our church here. Meeting in different homes in this great big city. And Paul reminds them, they're not alone in this. They're a part of something bigger. A movement that is, that is spreading across the world now at this time. And that's an important reminder for us here to today. So often as we meet in our own churches on a Sunday morning. Particularly if we're in a part of a medium or a smaller sized church. It can feel a bit lonely, maybe we're, we're the only ones at this, but we are part of something bigger, both within Canada, but particularly within the world at large. The church of Jesus is continuing to grow in so many places, and there are so many people who are with us this morning calling on his name. We're, Paul encouraged the Corinthians with this, he continue, and through his words, God continues to encourage us with this. So we're called for a purpose, centered in Jesus, who's at the center of the world. And then Paul moves on to to tell these people, I give thanks to you. Why do I give thanks to you? Because God has given you his grace. God has given you gifts. In him you've been enriched in every way. In your speaking and all your knowledge because of our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus to be revealed. The church has a calling. We as individuals have a calling. And it's, and it's a pretty big one. that We are a part of God's work of transforming the world, bringing love and hope and peace Healing to the world. We are called to do exactly as Jesus did, to continue his ministry. And it's it's a tremendous calling. Yet Paul reminds the Corinthians and reminds us that as God has given us this calling, Jesus, he has equipped us with everything we need. We've been given every gift of the Spirit that we need to do that. The Spirit came on Jesus at the beginning of His ministry, at His baptism. The Spirit is on us now through our baptism to give us everything we need to do this ministry, this mission, this call we have. It may not always feel like it day to day, so it's good to have this reminder that you're gifted, I'm gifted, we are gifted together. And in that, God is faithful. Paul says he will strengthen us to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. On that day when it's all finished, when the world is made new, he will strengthen us to the end because God is faithful. By him you were called. Called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ It can feel, again, like it's a big task we have, particularly in this this day and time, to be the church, to be faithful to Jesus. But ultimately, the thing that matters most is that God is faithful to us. He gives us everything we need. He gives us His love. He gives us His Spirit. He has given us His Son. So even if our faith is feeling thin, Even if we wonder how we will do all these things that we are called to do, God is faithful. So this is what Paul has to open his letter. Words of tremendous encouragement. Words reminding us what is at the center of our faith. From here, we'll go on into specifics, but I want you to remember that this letter begins with encouragement. This encouragement is for you for me today because God is faithful and in Jesus we can be sure of that. Amen. We are part of God's mission and one of the ways that we take part in that mission is to offer our gifts. We do that through our offering and through other ways that we serve as a community.